Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 2. Today we'll be reading Part 1 on the Councils and Exercises, chapters 4 through 7, pages 35 through 46 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we'll be covering today. So after our first official episode where we described what the devout life is and how the beginnings of the devout life kind of look in your interior life, now we're going to tease out what the beginning stages of conversion are going to look like or, or how they're going to take shape. So in this particular one, in this particular reading section, we'll focus on what it means to be in conversation about your conversion. So St. Francis de Sales will talk a lot about spiritual directors or, you know, if you have a kind of trusted confidant when it comes to things uh, pertaining to the spiritual life. And then he's going to help us to begin the task of purgation or mortification, which are big words, but basically mean the process of getting rid of the bad and then clearing a space for the good, which God accomplishes in us by his grace. So the, the two big things he's going to focus on are mortal sin, right? So habitual, big ticket items, and then the desire for sin. So, all right, with that in mind, we can uh, say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 4. On the need for guidance for those seeking to live a devout life and make progress in it. When young Tobias was commanded by his father to go to Rajis, he responded, quote, But I do not know the way. End quote. His father responded, quote, Go therefore and find a man who might lead you there. End quote. See Tobit 5, verses 2 and 3. My words for you are the same, O Philothea. If you truly wish to walk in the way of devotion, seek some good man who may travel alongside you as your guide. This is the most important of advice. As the devout John of Avila once said, quote, Although you may search for the will of God, you will discover it with as much surety as you will by the way of this humble obedience, which has been so strongly recommended in practice by all the devout saints of old. End quote. When St. Teresa saw that Lady Catherine of Cardona performed such great penances, she too was filled with great desire to imitate her, though against the advice of her confessor, who forbade her to take up such practices. And when she felt greatly tempted to disobey this command, God said to her, quote, My daughter, you are traveling a good and safe road. Do you not see her penances? However, I value even more your obedience. End quote. Thus, she so greatly loved this virtue that in addition to the obedience owed to her superiors, she vowed particular obedience to a man of true perfection, obliging herself to follow his direction and guidance from which she received infinite consolation. 
Like many devout souls before and after her, she joined the host of those who have sought to hand themselves more fully over to God, submitting their wills to the will of his servants, a practice which St. Catherine of Siena highly applauds in her dialogue. The devout princess St. Elizabeth submitted herself with exemplary obedience to the learned master Conrad of Marburg, and prior to his death, the great St. Louis gave his son the following advice, quote, Confess often, choose a confessor who is suitable and upright, a man who can teach you with certainty what you truly need to do. Quote, a faithful friend, as sacred scripture says, is a sturdy shelter. He that has found one has found a treasure. A faithful friend is an elixir of life, and those who fear the Lord will find him. End quote. Sirach 6, verses 14 and 16. These divine words primarily are concerned with immortality, and in order to attain such life, we need above all else to have such a faithful friend who may guide our actions by his directions and counsels, thereby saving us from the ambushes and wiles of the evil one. Such a friend will be a treasury of wisdom in our afflictions, sorrows, and falls, and with his medicine he will refresh and comfort our hearts when they fall ill with spiritual disease. He will preserve us from evil and make what is good in us better. And when we should fall ill with any infirmity, he will prevent it from being mortal, for he will lift us up once more. However, who can find such a friend? The wise man responds, quote, Whoever fears the Lord directs his friendship aright, end quote, Sirach 6, 17. In other words, the humble who earnestly desire spiritual advancement will experience such fellowship. Now, dear Philothea, since it is so important that you find a good guide for this journey of devotion, fervently pray to God that he might grant you one. And have no doubt in your heart, for he will send you such a good and faithful guide like an angel from heaven, as he aided young Tobias. And you should always consider your spiritual director to be an angel. In other words, when you have found him, do not treat him like a mere man. When you open your soul to him, place not your trust in him or in his human knowledge, but rather place your hope in God, who will help you and speak to you through this man, putting into his heart and upon his lips whatever is required for your true happiness. Thus, listen to him as to an angel who has descended from heaven to lead you back to the heavenly heights. Open your heart before him with sincerity and fidelity, manifesting clearly to him your good and evil without pretense or secrecy. In this way, what is good in you will be tested and more certain, and what is evil corrected and amended. In your afflictions he will relieve your burdens and strengthen your spirit, and when you experience consolations, you will retain a balance of soul. Place full confidence in him, mixed with holy reverence, without allowing your reverence to diminish this confidence or the latter to destroy the reverence you owe him. Like a daughter to a father, open your soul to him and respect him with a son's confidence in his mother. In short, this friendship should be firm and sweet, utterly holy, sanctified, divine, and spiritual. Thus, following the advice of St. Teresa, look for a guide who is one in a thousand. No, I will even say, find that man who is like one in ten thousand, for there are fewer capable of being such a guide than you might imagine. He must be full of charity, knowledge, and prudence. If he lacks any one of these three qualities, you will find yourself in a dangerous situation. Therefore, I say it again, pray to God for such a director, and when you find him, bless his divine majesty. Remain constant, seeking no other, but rather follow him simply, humbly, and confidently. Then you will have a truly blessed journey. Chapter 5. We must start by purifying our souls. Quote, the flowers, says the sacred spouse, have appeared in our land, the time of pruning has come. End quote. Canticle of Canticles 2.12, Dewey Reams Version. My dear Philothea, what are the flowers of our hearts? Are they not our good desires? 
Now, as soon as they begin to grow, we must pick up our knife so that we might prune from our consciences all dead and superfluous works. If a foreign maiden wished to marry an Israelite, she had to take off the garments of her captivity, cut her nails, and shave her hair. Deuteronomy 21 verses 12 and 13. So too, the soul who wishes to have the great honor of being the spouse of the Son of God must put off the old man and put on the new. Ephesians 4 verses 22 through 24. Forsaking sin and then cutting away every hindrance that may turn her aside from the love of God. Our health begins first by purging ourselves of what is harmful. In but a moment, St. Paul was wholly purified. So too were St. Catherine of Genoa, St. Mary Magdalene, St. Pelagia, and some others. However, such instant purgation is wholly miraculous and extraordinary in the order of grace, akin to the resurrection of a dead person in comparison with the powers of nature. Therefore, we should not act as though such rapid purification will be our lot. Ordinarily, purification and healing, whether of the body or the mind, only takes place gradually, step by step, requiring time and pain. The angels on Jacob's ladder have wings, but note this fact, they do not fly, but rather ascend and descend, one after another, from step to step. The soul that rises from sin to devotion is like the dawning of the morning, which does not cast away the darkness in a single instant, but rather gradually. Proverbs 4, 18. The slow cure, runs the proverb, is the safe cure. Diseases of the soul, like those of the body, come quickly, like riders on horseback, but they depart on foot, slow as a snail. Therefore, O Philothea, this undertaking will require courage and patience. Alas, how greatly should we pity those souls who, considering all of their many imperfections while they start down the path of devotion, become troubled, perturbed, and discouraged, nearly allowing their hearts to be carried away by the temptation to forsake all of this and turn back to their old ways. However, on the other hand, great danger besets those who, by the opposite kind of temptation, make themselves believe that they are cleansed of their imperfections the first day of their purification. Even though they have barely begun, they believe themselves to be perfect and thus try to take to flight only to find that they have no wings. My dear Philothea, they are in such great danger of relapse, having left the care of the physician all too quickly. Ah, in the words of the prophet, quote, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, end quote. Psalm 127.2. And he himself, putting this lesson into practice, having already been washed and purified, still asks to be cleansed yet again. The work of purifying the soul neither can nor should end all our life long. Therefore, let us not be troubled when we see our imperfections, for our perfection consists in combating them. And such combat is impossible if we do not see them, nor can we vanquish them if we do not encounter them. Our victory is not to be found in not feeling such imperfections, but rather in not consenting to them. However, to be troubled by them is not to consent to them. Nay, it is sometimes necessary so that we might learn humility, that we be wounded in the spiritual combat. However, we are never conquered as long as we lose neither our vitality nor our courage. Now, imperfections and venial sins cannot deprive us of spiritual life, for that is only lost by mortal sin. Therefore, they should not lead us to lose courage. Quote, Deliver me, Lord, said David, from cowardice and discouragement. End quote. See Psalm 54.9, Dewey Reams Version. Happily, in the spiritual combat, so long as we strive to fight, we will ever be victorious. Chapter 6. The First Purification from Mortal Sin Seek the worthiest confessor you can. Have in hand one of the little books that have been written to help you form your conscience to make a good confession. Read it carefully and reflect upon your life, considering point by point how you have offended God, beginning from the dawning of your power to reason up to the present hour. 
If you distrust your memory, write down what you observe while reflecting thus. Then, having scrutinized your conscience and thus gathered together all the sinful corruptions it presents to you, detest and reject them with the greatest grief and contrition that your heart can conceive, profoundly pondering these four things, that through your sin you have lost the grace of God, forfeited the mansion established for you in heaven, incurred the perpetual pains of hell, and renounced the eternal love of God. Thus you see, Philothea, that I am here speaking of a general confession concerning the whole of one's life, which, I admit, is not always absolutely necessary, though I nonetheless believe it to be of great profit for you as you begin down the path of devotion. Therefore, I earnestly advise you to take up this practice. Often, the ordinary confessions of those who live a common and uncultivated life are full of great defects, for they frequently do not prepare themselves at all, or very little, and lack sufficient contrition for their sins. Nay, often they confess their sins while tacitly intending to return to the same way of life, inasmuch as they are not willing to avoid occasions of sinning, nor to make use of the means needed for amending one's life. In all such people, general confession is needed if the soul is going to be truly secure. However, besides this, a general confession also reminds us of our true condition. It stirs up our hearts so that we may have wholesome shame and sorrow for our past life, it makes us admire the mercy of God who has waited for us for so long and with such patience. Such a confession quiets our hearts, refreshes our spirits, excites in us good resolutions, and provides our spiritual father with an opportunity to give us advice that is suited to our condition. Indeed, it opens our hearts so that in our future confessions we may express ourselves with greater confidence. Therefore, for a general renewal of our heart and full conversion of our soul to God through the devout life, I believe that I am right, dear Philothea, in recommending to you this practice of general confession. Chapter 7. The Second Purification from Desire for Sinful Deeds All of the Israelites departed from the land of Egypt, but not all of their hearts had departed from the land of their bondage. Therefore, in the wilderness, many of them murmured at the fact that they did not have the onions and meat of Egypt. Numbers 11, verses 4 and 5. In like manner, there are penitents who forsake sin, failing to lose the desire for it. In other words, they truly intend to sin no more, but their hearts are marked with a kind of reluctance to deny themselves and abstain from the miserable pleasures of sin. Their hearts renounce sin and depart from it, but for all that, they do not cease to look back towards such sins, like Lot's wife looking back towards Sodom as they fled. Genesis 19.26 Such penitents abstain from sin, like sick men who avoid the foods that doctors tell them not to eat lest they suffer death. However, they find this unpleasant and talk about these forbidden foods, discussing whether they might perhaps have them. Perhaps they at least smell them and judge that those who do eat them are happy. Thus, these weak and faint-hearted penitents abstain from sin for a time, but they sorrow at this state of affairs. They would willingly sin and not be damned. They speak of sin with a kind of satisfaction and relish and believe that those who commit such sins are happy. A man determined to exact revenge upon his neighbor will change his mind in confession, but soon thereafter he will be found among his friends, taking pleasure in speaking of his quarrel and saying, quote, Had it not been for the fear of God, I would have done this or that. How harsh God's law is, requiring us to forgive our enemies. How I wish that God would assure that I might be avenged. End quote. Ah, this is so clear to all. Although this poor man may be free from sin, he is weighed down by love for it. Though he has in fact departed Egypt, he nonetheless is still there in his desires, longing for the leeks and onions he once ate there in the land of his bondage. He is like a woman who, having set aside her sinful life with lovers, still likes to be admired and courted. Alas, how great the danger such people are in! 
O Philothea, since you desire to live a devout life, you must not only forsake sin itself, but must also cleanse your heart from all desires for it. Indeed, besides the danger of relapsing, these wretched passions will perpetually enfeeble and depress your spirit, making it impossible for you to do good works cheerfully, diligently, and frequently. In other words, they will turn you from the very works which are of the essence of devotion. Souls that have set aside sin itself but still have these desires and pine for sin may, in my opinion, be compared to sickly and pale people who are not ill, strictly speaking, though all their actions are marked by a kind of sickness. They eat without relish, sleep without rest, laugh without delight, and drag themselves along instead of walking with an upright and steady pace. In like manner, such souls do good, though with such great spiritual weariness, that all grace is removed from their good works, which are few in number and small in efficacy. In this section, we've seen a few different themes emerge, or a few things that St. Francis de Sales insists upon, and that he will continue to return to throughout the course of this work. And one is the fact that devotion uh, it grows in conversation. So it's not something that we do alone as Christians. Um, and specifically, as we seek to you know, stir up in our hearts and kindle in our hearts a flame for the devout life, we're going to need guidance. We're going to need somebody you know, like who we can rely upon to tell us, okay, this sounds good or okay, this sounds bad. So Father Jacob Bertrand, thinking then about this need for guidance, what are some resources that we have in the devout life? You know, obviously we're not all going to get a spiritual director since... Um, yeah, that might not be for all of us, and not all priests have a ton of time, uh, but, but what are some ways in which we can think about this fact of our devotion in conversation? Yeah, I like that, um, what, like phrase, devotion in conversation, because it immediately reminds us that our coming to Christ is not like a solo affair, and this is exactly what St. Francis de Sales is reminding us, uh, or pointing out. I think certainly in the beginning of this book, and as we continue to work through it, um, something that St. Francis is very sort of like keen to do is to encourage us in our pursuit of Christ and and um, offer that encouragement, not just from himself, but like by pointing us to these places where we can find guidance. And I think the first place to do that is to learn and look at what the church teaches about what constitutes like a good and holy um, relationship with Christ. And this is not like, it's not a terribly complicated reality, you know, to, to sort of cling to the tried and true practices of the Christian life that lead us in devotion. So, you know, first and foremost, the sacramental life, going to Mass with obviously Sunday Mass, but, you know, if we can make daily Mass, going to Mass with regularity with frequency, going to confession, receiving those graces in the sacraments are, you know, the, the bedrock of the devout life and of the Christian life. And we could, the church guides us there. The church also guides us in her moral teachings, right? So we can think of the teachings of the church, but also as we'll talk about later in the book, the, the life of virtue and how to pursue the virtues. Like these are good kind of I mean, bumpers kind of make them sound ancillary and like you get rid of bumpers, right, when you're better at bowling. But um, these are sort of like lifelong bumpers that keep us keep us oriented to and towards Christ. So I think that those are some places to start. Obviously, you mentioned a couple other, Father Gregory, St. Francis of Sales mentioned a couple other, but those are places I think we should always keep as the foundation and bedrock of, of sort of where the conversation begins, conversation with Christ and his church. And it's kind of sneaky on the part of St. Francis de Sales, too, because, all right, he's addressing this woman whom we introduced in the first episode or kind of like the, the pre-launch episode. 
Um, and he relates to her like a spiritual director. So it's clear that this book is a kind of conversation that would take place between a spiritual director and a spiritual directee. So that sense of guidance, obviously it's best that it be another living, breathing human being because you want to be able to have, like we said, a conversation about the spiritual life. But this book, right, the introduction to the devout life is just such a resource as well by extension insofar as it represents that conversation that took place between two people in the 17th century, one of whom was super holy. Um, and he's doing it in such a way uh, so that it applies to each of our lives here in the 21st. Um, because, yeah, he's, he's trying to make it such that these insights are more widely applicable or he's not going to like get into all the nitty gritty details, which might not apply in every individual life. He's trying to limit himself to those things that apply in practically all lives. Um, and then this podcast, right? The, the conversation that grows up around these sections of reading are intended to serve a similar purpose in your life, listener. Um, so you've got this book, right? You've got this commentary, this podcast, you've got your friends, you might have your spouse, you might have a regular confessor, and you might have a spiritual director. But know that you have a lot of resources uh, so that you can talk through uh, this, this devout life that you seek to lead. All right, with that then, let's turn to the theme of purgation. You probably recognize the word purgation when we talk about purgatory. Uh, so it represents a kind of purification or a kind of healing that needs to take place in the human soul in order for us to you know, grow in the life of grace and virtue, which God has in store. And I think when St. Francis introduces the theme, he does so with a kind of honest acknowledgement that this is going to take time and it's going to be painful. So Father Jacob Bertrand, your thoughts as we uh, kind of gear up or maybe as we unpack our experiences of purification, what are some, some things to keep in mind? I think, yeah, first you're right that in, in sort of St. Francis's description here, like of time and pain, it's like, uh, maybe not. Like maybe I'll close this book. It's it's a strong it's strong to start off that way at the beginning of a book because it's not it might not be the most attractive kind of thing for us to think about the spiritual life as taking forever and being painful. Because truth be told, like we want the quick ready fix. It would be a lot nicer, maybe, maybe easier. I don't know if nicer, but to have that that have that like quick and ready, like that's it. Good. Great. I spent a week's retreat and now I'm holy and devout. And it's like, well, probably not. Um, so first and foremost, I think, you know, patience is, is something to cling to that. Like, you know, you, we have to, it's good to take stock of who we are as human beings. And that, like the things that we do or built up in our lives, those vices, those obstacles to the pursuit of the devout life and holiness, they, they get, sometimes their roots are pretty deep and pretty spread. And grace certainly um, works to uproot those things through our penances, through our spiritual practices, through building the habits of virtue, through being in this conversation with guidance. But it just takes some time and to adjust, just simply thinking in, in even whatever terms, to adjust the way that we do things and live our lives. It, yeah, there's time involved. It can be a sort of training ground that is, you know, requires extra effort, you know, uh, to, to weed those things out. But patience is great, of course, and as is our Lord you know, he's great. So uh, it's not something that we encounter, that we engage in on our own. It's not as if we have to do this so then to encounter Christ. We encounter Christ in the purification that we go through. So there's a beauty in it too, I think. Yeah, and I think that that beauty is something to which we can return often because, you know, you're not going to train for something that's not difficult. 
I hope I don't offend any of our listeners by saying that a 5K walk is not especially difficult. You might be like, wait a second, you stink. It's like, well, okay. Um, so if somebody were to say, you know, Father Gregory, we've got this, you know, 5K fun run slash walk uh, for a cure of something at the end of October, would you participate in it? I'd be like, sure, right? But, you know, the group is walking. So if you could be with us, you know, tell some jokes, say some prayers, we'd be super appreciative. It's like, cool, I'm going to train for that zero minutes and zero seconds. But if you say, hey, Father Gregory, I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I have to run on our age bracket a 305. I know you can't go all of the way with me for a variety of reasons. Um, but I would like somebody to take me through 18 miles because at that point I can pick up a pace back and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Right now I can't, whatever that is like 645 miles. There's no way that I'm going to run that because again, a variety of reasons. Uh, but if you say we need to do this by the end of November, then I have some time that I can prepare depending on when we start in January or in March or in blah, blah, blah. You know, I've got, I've got a, I've got a thought here that I'm going to need to discipline. And this is a noble goal because I want to help a friend. And in your case, because you want to do something that's really cool in the American pantheon of running gods. Um, so yeah, I think that that's what we're setting forward here is like, okay, it's a really noble goal, uh, but it's a difficult goal. So we don't say that so as to intimidate you, but we say that so as to kind of tease out the desire to pursue something noble because you're made for something noble. And I think that's that's kind of the inspiration that he has in mind. I don't know if you have further thoughts on these types of uh, big desires that stir up our, uh, yeah, they kind of stir up a certain inspiration in us. Yeah, it's good for us to be aware in some way of what we're taking on, right? Like we can't, I don't think we could sit here and say that at the beginning of our sort of delving into the devout life we're going to know what every every day is going to look like every month every year is going to look like as we continue to to pursue christ like who who could know but it's good to know in some way what we are what we're going to face the difficulties that that there will be difficulties that sometimes it'll be prayer will be dry sometimes it'll you know we'll be battling these vices or these temptations and sometimes for a long time and again not as a way to scare but as a way to sort of bolster and and kind of um be prepared in that regard um, and to recognize in that that it's not a unique thing for you alone to to do this. I mean, all the saints follow this this path in their own way of of purification, of perfecting, of um, of rooting out sin and living the life of virtue. And because, and this is why the saints are so important here and and good friends, good, you know, whether that's a spiritual director or a friend, whatever, um, they're helpful because they go with us or they've gone before us and can lead us in the same way. So um, it's good to sort of be like, you know, kind of equipped as best as we can as we start to like to, to launch in. Yeah. And when it comes to purgation, St. Francis de Sales identifies for us two main things for which we need to be on the lookout, which we flagged before the reading section. The first is mortal sin. And since mortal sin is just spiritual death, we can, you know, we can have no compromises with mortal sin. And then he describes further how we can kind of get out ahead of mortal sin. We don't just lay back and wait for mortal sin to come to us and then fend it off at our very threshold. He says, no, you know, leave the house, go on the search for things that might represent obstacles and take the combat to them. And so he talks about beyond mortal sin, the very desire for sin. And he likens it to how the Israelites, you know, in this period after the Passover, when they first go out into the desert and they make their 40 years way eventually to the promised land, how at first they, they long for the flesh pots of Egypt. They long for 
the three solid meals that they once got and the delicious food that was, you know, part of those meals and things. So he's saying, um, when we give up mortal sin, sometimes we look back in the life of sin and we, yeah, we lament the fact that we've given it up because we're still attached to it. So we're going to have to also, you know, focus on breaking some of those attachments, confronting the parts of our lives that remain as yet not wholly converted. Um, because we don't want to just be like physically present to the faith in the sacraments. We want to be holy and entirely present, you know, physically, mentally, and everything else between. Um, so as we uh, round out this episode, we're going to look ahead then to the next few episodes, which will take us through a series of meditations. And the point of that is so that we can, in meditating on God and all things in light of God, uh, work on, you know, these habitual patterns of sin and these attachments to sin. So uh, that's our prayer. Uh, for uh, for these upcoming episodes, and we hope that you uh, you profit from them. So then, that's it for today. Um, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. And then if you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast Godsplaining, G-O-D-S-P-L-A-I-N-I-N-G. There you'll find, let's see, weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and some special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at our website at godsplaining.org. So, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics.